Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as, as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, we are continuing our sermon series on how we set a firm foundation for faith. And we have been talking about uh, how God desired to be king. And he is God, but the people continually would reject the authority of God and kind of do their own thing. And last week we talked about how uh, the Israelites, they wanted a king to lead them. They just didn't want that king to be God. They wanted a, a flesh and bones human king, even though God warned them that if they had that kind of king, that king would lord it over them. That king would take advantage of them and exploit them and tell them to do things that they wouldn't want to do. I, I think that for a lot of us, we can see where this, this is going, that Jesus is the king. God want, wanted to be our king all along, right? And that in the passage that we saw last week, that God even says to the prophet Samuel, because the prophet Samuel is upset because he feels like um, the people are rejecting his authority and the authority that he was thinking that he would pass on to his sons. Uh, but his sons were very corrupt. And so they, they said, we don't want your sons. We, we want you to appoint a king. But God says, they are not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Right? But the people did want a human king. And so check it out. In Jesus, Jesus is fully God and fully man. So you get the best of both worlds in Jesus. There's this underlying question that maybe you've been asking, and maybe you didn't even know you've been asking this question. What kind of king is God? Because on some level, I think for many of us, we have a really hard time submitting to the authority of Jesus, the king. And I think we have to wonder why. Maybe there's just something within us that we don't want to submit to any king. That might be true. But maybe 
there is on some level where we still don't fully trust the king. I mean, the people of Israel didn't want to submit uh, to God the king, right? And consistently would rebel against God. And maybe for us too, um, we like very well that Jesus is our Savior. You're like, hey, thanks, Jesus. Good looking out. But we don't really, really like that Jesus is our king. We give Jesus that title. We're like, okay, Jesus, you're a king, like a figurehead. <laughs> you know, almost like uh, now there's some countries like England. They have symbolic kings and queens, but that royalty can't really tell the people what to do. They, they can't really tax the people or, you know, send them to war. But the king and queen are just symbolic, you know? They're, they're just kind of there and, you know, they... they uh, uh, do ceremonies and stuff. And the people like having that. But they don't really have any power. Is that true of Jesus in your life? If Jesus were to tell you to do something that you didn't want to do, would you do it? And so we come upon this passage. Uh, it's Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Passion Sunday because it is about this this passage where the people are going to be waving palm branches and all that. But we also are headed to the cross, and we don't want to forget that. And in this passage, the first part of the passage, which actually takes about half of the entire passage uh, in Luke, uh, is something that a lot of us just kind of gloss over. And something that I want to encourage you to do when you read Scripture is when you are tempted to just gloss over a passage. I want you to pause. There's stuff that just, it doesn't draw the eye, right? It, it doesn't capture your attention. You're just very tempted to just breeze through it. But if you were to go back and read that a couple of times and linger there, maybe you'd find unexpected depth. And, and I think that's true of this passage. So the first part of the passage is all about the disciples getting the donkey, <laughs> getting the colt. Uh, we're not told particularly that it's a donkey, but we're, we're told that in different parallel passages uh, about the triumphal entry. Um, but here we see that uh, they're they're getting close to Jerusalem, and they're into they're in this village, and Jesus gives them instructions, and he tells them where to find the donkey, and again, we didn't really need to have this passage, did we? You know, I mean, would anyone really uh, be that curious if we're just told that Jesus strolls in on a donkey and you'd be thinking, but where did he get the donkey? Did they always have the donkey? Did he steal the donkey? Is that why they included this passage to assure us that they didn't steal the donkey? It's kind of weird. And so I think it's worth exploring, you know, just for a moment. So here we see Jesus saying, go into the village in front of you. This is verse 30. Where on entering, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. So likely it is very young. We're told in different passages that it's, it's, it's a smaller donkey, you know? And so um, it, it lends to the humility of Jesus. He's not entering in on some mighty stallion, on some huge war horse, Right? But he's entering in on a young donkey. 
And, and so he says, untie it and bring it here. Now, here, we're not really told that he asked for any permission. If anyone asks you, it says in verse 31, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So, the disciples go and they found the donkey just like he told them. They're untying the colt and the owners do stop them. And they say, why are you untying the colt? And they simply say, just like Jesus told them to, the Lord has need of it. So, Jesus doesn't exactly steal the donkey, but he merely just tells them, hey, this is what's happening. The Lord needs the donkey. And the disciples take it. Does this kind of remind you of the kind of king that Samuel warned the people that they were going to get? Right? Because he, he, he tells them, the king is going to take things from you. The king is going to order you. Right? Give me your sons and I'm going to send them to war. Give me your daughters and I'm going to put them to work. Give me your stuff, your fields, because it's going to be needed. And you're just going to have to do it. So there is this reminder that we have that Jesus is a king, right? And, and when the king tells you to do something, you're supposed to do it. But it's interesting that there is an opportunity for the people to stop, stop them. I mean, they're not exactly asking, but there is an opportunity for the people to submit to the authority of the king. Now, the disciples, I mean, it does take faith for them to do this, you know? I mean, would you do it? Would you go into somebody's stable and just take their colt without really asking, just start untying it? And if someone asks you about it, would you just be like, yo, the Lord needs it. And so all throughout this passage are opportunities for people to submit to the authority of the king. And maybe it comes as a surprise, or maybe you're not surprised, but at least for me, it, it's, it's kind of a weird passage. And maybe this is why we just kind of brush through it, but I don't know that I would be okay with that. I don't know that that would be a sufficient explanation to somebody taking my colt and just being like, oh, the Lord needs it? Okay, go right ahead. I mean, there's a lot that we're not told here, but maybe, maybe they, they heard that Jesus was coming. Maybe they heard about Jesus. Maybe that they heard the rumors that there was a Messiah. And so just simply hearing the Lord needs him, they're like, okay, okay, we're going to trust you know, we're going to submit. And so they do. And brothers and sisters, what happens is that we get this beautiful scene where Jesus rides in on the donkey. And it's a beautiful scene partially because it is so humble, right? He doesn't come in with a conquering army. That's what you would expect of most kings. He comes in on a rented donkey. Right or a borrowed donkey, I should say. We we don't hear that they pay any money for it, um, but we have to assume that Jesus gives it back, right? I mean, 
you don't hear any more mentions of the donkey, do you? Uh, in the in the passage passages about the passion, you know, that the disciples were there watching Jesus being crucified, and they have a donkey. We we don't right. There's no more donkey. So the assumption is that he gives it back. It's a borrowed donkey. It's not even his. Not really. It takes submission for Jesus to get the donkey. This isn't a, a rich king who is able to just buy whatever he wants with all the gold in the world. The people needed things. The disciples needed things. Jesus needed things. He needed a donkey. And he had to borrow it. Right? This is a poor king. This is the king. And he comes in humbly. And he comes in with some former tax collectors. He comes in with some fishermen. He doesn't come in with, with warriors, you know, uh, armored up and with swords. He, he comes in with, you know, his disciples. And the disciples there begin to rejoice just from the village. It's probably women and children, right? Because we hear that those people follow Jesus. You know, this is a humble bunch. And they're rejoicing and they're praising God. And they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And there's some Pharisees there. They're the religious authorities. The Pharisees had money, power, influence. They had respectability. And they're warning the crowd. And they're saying to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Be quiet. Stop saying that. This is blasphemy. We did not sanction this gathering. And Jesus says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. You don't know the powers you're messing with here, right? I mean, you could silence them, but you don't have real power here. The the people, they're, they're not afraid of the Pharisees. You know, maybe they're swept up in seeing Jesus come into the city and and what that could mean. That he is the Messiah. He is the promised king. That the kingdom has come. And so, when their religious leaders come and they tell them, no, stop. They're like, no, we're not following you. We're following the king. You know, there is a lot in this passage that is about submission. It is about submitting to the authority of the king, right? But this is a kind of king who comes humbly, as we said, and he also submits too. Because later in the week, you're going to find out that um, the crowd's going to turn on him. You know, we don't know if it's the exact same crowd, but maybe there were people who were very happy about Jesus coming when they thought they're like, okay, this is a little weird. You know, he, he, he's on a, a cult, you know, and he's coming with these humble disciples, you know. But maybe just by sheer numbers, we're going to overthrow their authority. And this is all going to work out exactly as we wanted. You know, we're going to have an actual political revolution. That's not what Jesus does. When they come to arrest him, The disciples try to fight back and Jesus says, no, 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 no. 
We're not going to have any of that. He submits. He gets arrested. And when he's on trial, he doesn't try to defend himself. You know, are you the king of the Jews? Because that would mean that you are a traitor to Rome. Right? There's no king but Caesar. But Jesus, you know, in some of the passages, they don't mention him answering. In other ones, they say, it is as you say. Do your worst. And so they do. They convict him. They beat him. They, they don't put a, a crown of gold, but they put a crown of thorns to mock him. And they trudge him out to the hill of Calvary. And Jesus submits to death on a cross. This is the king. This is the king of glory. Friends, I, I know that um, oftentimes it is hard for us to submit. It, it is hard for us to surrender our will, what we want. I, I, I make no bones about that, that that is what it means to follow a king. That's what it means to follow Jesus. You know, you may try to find ways around that. Oh, it's about believing Jesus. Yeah, but what does that mean? Believing Jesus means that you trust him and it means that you follow his word, right? Because Jesus says that. Don't just listen to what I say, but actually do it, right? So if you trust Jesus, it means we do what he says, right? And we live the kind of life that he wants us to live. And Paul is very clear about that. He says, uh, this is Philippians chapter 2. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Um, so in other words, if you've accepted the love of Christ and, and you've taken comfort from that, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You're going to live in sync, in harmony with, with God, with what God's will is. And, and he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The Christian life is a life of humility. You can't get, get it twisted. I, I know sometimes throughout history, actually, people have seen that Jesus is a king and they try to use that to grab power. They try to use that like, hey, Jesus is going to institute a, a new government. There were actually people in the United States who wanted to do that. They wanted to institute a, a, a Christian government and overthrow the worldly government. Nah, <laughs> that's not what it's saying here. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. You don't get to do that. We don't get to give ourselves the power, right? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. You're supposed to be thinking about other people because that's what Jesus did, right? Let each of you look not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus is giving us. He's giving us his mind his heart, right? His form, who Jesus is in essence. When we follow Jesus, that's what we get. And so we submit because he submitted. It says, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The word for grasped is exploiting, taking advantage of, right? You don't get to milk this. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is our king. He submitted himself. He surrendered. He surrendered to the cross. He surrendered to, the, to death. And he did it for us. He did it to save us. It doesn't say this in, in the passage in Luke, but in other passages. We know that the word that the people say when they see Jesus, they do say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they also say, Hosanna. It is an expression of praise. But what it literally means is save. Save us, King. And this is what the people were crying out. And this is what Jesus came to do. This is how he saves. By his death, he takes our end. We were supposed to be penalized for our sin. But there is no more penalty for sin when Jesus takes it upon himself. He saves us. Right? We were supposed to take up the cross, and we still are. But the penalty, the shame of the cross, no longer applies to us. Right? Please do not mistake. This does not mean that we don't have to submit anymore. But submission used to be this thing that was full of shame. I mean, that's why so many of us don't want to do it, right? Well, like, I, I mean, we, we don't want anyone to have power over us, right? Because what does that mean about us? It means we're lower than you. It means that we're inferior. Man, you know, when someone tells you what to do, it's just this immediate feeling of, of, of ickiness, of shame, right? What else is it? But this feeling of like, hey, you think you're better than me? We, we call it swallowing our pride because so many of us naturally, we want to prove ourselves. We want to prove then that we're better than other people. And so we have a world where people can't serve one another, where people can't surrender. We have a world where just a tiny fraction of people, a tiny percentage of people have the vast majority of the world's wealth. And they can't submit. They can't surrender. They can't give it up. Right? Think about the rich young ruler when he wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, great. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to sell your possessions and I want you to give it to the poor and come follow me. And he can't do it. He can't submit. This is the point where the rubber meets the road. This is the point where most of us fall off is surrender, submission. Jesus, we are fine with going to church. We are fine with worshiping you as long as you don't ask anything of us. We are fine with, with being a Christian if being a Christian means that we have political power as you see so many people in this country. But what would it mean if we actually submit if we actually surrender our power on behalf of other people, oh, no, no. 
God, we can't do that. Jesus, no. We make all kinds of rationalizations, thinking that that Jesus would never ask that of us. But can that be true? When you look at a passage like like we just read, you, you, you must follow the example of Jesus. You must give up your power for the sake of others. That's what it means to follow this king, because that is exactly what our king did for us. And because Jesus did this, this is the way uh, the passage ends in Philippians chapter 2. This is verses 9 through 10. It says, Therefore, therefore, because he submitted himself to death, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to think for a moment. What if the owner of the cult didn't submit, didn't surrender the cult to the disciples? I mean, it's not like they were going to take it forever. You know, they gave it back. But what if they said, nah, nah, look, look, it's my cult, man. You know, who are you to come in and barge here? Oh, the Lord? Listen, I bought this cult with my own money, okay? It's mine. What if? I think this would have happened. They would have had their cult. That's it. End of story. There's no mention of the cult ever in history. Jesus has to go find another cult. But because they surrendered, because they submitted, it was their cult that Jesus rode. And and they come in to the city and, and all the people are praising God. And that owner got to be just one small part of the story of redemption for all time. If they were selfish, if, if they were not willing to submit, if they held on to their rights as the owner of the cult, they wouldn't get to be a part of the story. But I can just imagine that they go and they see Jesus, this Messiah, come and ride their cult. And, and they see the people praising God. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the people are praising God. I just imagine the owner of the cult just joining that procession, just being lost. They're not thinking about their cult anymore. They're just giving praise to God. They're not thinking about what they had to give. They're just caught up in the story of redemption. They're caught up in the glory of the king. Friends, I want us to take a moment as we go into this final song, um, but just throughout this week, to, to just take in the glory of what God has done for us. 
His humility, His submission. Jesus' submission to the cross to save us. It's glorious, friends. It is so glorious. This King deserves our praise. This King deserves our submission. This King deserves our very lives. And if we were to give it, just know this is the kind of King we serve. He is humble. He is loving and sacrificial. He's not going to take your life to exploit it. You are not going to be put to shame. But we will be caught up in the story of glory. And it's not going to matter what you gave. Right? I mean, there's just so many people who just hold on stubbornly to the things that they want. And, and what do you get at the end of the day? Hey, I got to be my own boss. Nobody can tell me what to do. But you may, you know, for the rest of your days, be very bitter, be very close-hearted, be very selfish and inward. But to the people who submitted their lives to God throughout history, they, they live a life of generosity. They live a life for others. They live a life caught up in the story of glory. That's what I want. Is that what you want? Let us pray. God, thank you so much for sending the King of glory, a humble King. May we learn to submit as your Son submitted. May we learn to surrender and to give as your Son surrendered and gave. May we be caught up in the story of the King of glory. In Jesus' name, amen.